Hey all you heroes and champions, crows, pirates, and inquisitors. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast. I'm Shelby. And I'm Austin. And we are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe. From the Maker to Lyrium to Aravels, we will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hey, Shelby. Hey, Austin. You ready to talk about some Dragon Age? No. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we'll do this another day. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just wanted to know what your reaction would be if I actually said no to that. <laughs> so, how's your playing of Dragon Age going? Um. Well... I have to confess something. <laughs> yes. And that is that I have a playthrough open in every single one of the games right now. That surprises me zero. Do we are we really counting your Dragon Age 2 playthrough? You haven't touched that one in months. Um actually no, I went back to it last week. Oh, okay. And I'm trying to make through Mass Effect 1 for the first time. So yeah, I have no hopes of you doing that. I'm trying. I will finish it. I will. I just okay. don't understand what's happening. You're almost done. You say that, but then I still have like five more planets or whatever. You have three more planets, if that. Okay, well, I'm I'm just confused. But back to Dragon Age. Yeah, so I have three. Yes. I have three. Um, three playthroughs happening right now but I'm focusing on oh no four technically four because I um I'm in awakening as well so that's the one I'm focusing on that's fine that's fine are you rolling your eyes at me no so anyway those are my playthroughs how are yours going um, you haven't. I don't have a playthrough. Touched it because you've been playing Destiny. Yes, I have been playing Destiny. If you want to join us on Destiny, you can join the Robots Radio Discord found in the description below. Shut we have a up. Destiny clan going on. <laughs> okay. If you want to join that. Okay, corny, <laughs> corny. All right. So today, today we are continuing our Countries of Thetis theme and we're moving we started last week with Taventer, the oldest human nation and so today we are moving on with which another nation that is very well known has a lot of history to it a lot of history surrounding the chantry and everything about that so shelby what country are we talking about this week today we are talking about orlay yeah Everybody's favorite French country in Thetis. <laughs> yes. I don't even think French politics are as complicated as Orlais politics. Well, I'm not French, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't know either, but. um, Yeah, so we're talking about Orlais. I know you're super excited because you hate Orlais. <laughs> I don't hate Orlais. I just have zero interest. And, like, my biggest question is, like, what's the deal with the mask? 
I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know what's going on. That's fair. I don't know either. <laughs> okay. Well, let's see if we dive in here, see if we can find anything out. Okay. Well, I just have a few, before we, like, go to the ancient history, I just have a few little fun facts about Orlais. Um, All right. Capital of Orlais is Valrio, obviously. It is an absolute monarchy. Like, this is not, you know, like Queen Elizabeth, who is... Uh, you know, in power, in name only, like, no. The emperor, empress of Orlais is like, that's where the buck stops with them. Unless someone outmaneuvers them in the game. But really, the emperor or the empress is where the power lies. So they are an absolute monarchy. Um, supposedly, supposedly... Orlais is the largest and most powerful nation in Thetis currently. Um, clearly, that has not always been the case in the past. Um, I mean, in the past, Taventer basically covered the entire continent. So, um, that's definitely in, in flux, something that has changed. And I think it's possible that we could see the fall of Orlais um, soon, depending on, you know your actions in in the games who knows definitely so the ruler of orlais currently is conditional um it can be empress celine valmont or it can be emperor gaspard or it can be uh emperor gaspard who is a puppet emperor commanded by briala uh ambassador briala i should say so those are the three options for the rulers of Orlais. And obviously that depends on your choices that you made in Inquisition. So those are just a few little facts I have about modern Orlais. So where does this, where does Orlais come from? Like what, who, what groups do they arise out of? Because there's no like, Orlesian Empire when Andraste comes in with her. That's true. Places. So where do they come from? Okay, let's let's get into it because that question has a really big answer. So to answer that question, we have to go back to the ancient history, which is what I was planning on talking about anyway. Um, and so we go so far back that we're talking about tribes, right? Like all of all of Thetis is you know the humans in Thetis are tribal communities right now so you have like we talked about last week in Taventer you have these four tribal kingdom groups of humans in Taventer that eventually merge um, into one society into the Taventer Imperium similarly in Ferelden we've talked about this before I think in our Andraste episode you have the Alamari tribes who all end up uniting under um Mafrath and Andraste. And then you have a few other tribes that kind of don't unite um, and they become what we know as the Avar um, in, you know, the mountains. So in Orlais, um, you have two different groups of tribes. You have the Ingersh tribes. Um, they settled in northern Orlais and southern Taventer. 
um, and they were largely decentralized and very nomadic. So that means they were pretty easily defeated by the Taventer tribe of the Neromenians. So that's one group that makes up Orlais, but the other bigger, more significant, uh, more of a historical and cultural impact is the Syrian tribe. So the Syrian is made up of a bunch of different tribes, really um, tribes that have their own distinct culture and, and heritage, but they're like semi like aware of each other. Actually, honestly, you could probably even compare it to the Dalish now. Um, so that's the Syrian. If you remember, Andraste's mother was, she came from a Syrian tribe and she married Andraste's dad, um, Elderath, I think is his name. So there is some crossover between the Alamari and the Syrian and, um, all of these other tribes. So that's an important background, but to get to the point where they're unified into what we know of as Orlais, um, obviously we've already talked about Andraste and her, you know, marches to Taventer with Mafrath and Chartan. Like we've talked about this, but when she dies in Taventer, when she's martyred, Mafrath comes back and he's now got all this land that they've conquered. Um, in Ferelden, in Orlais, in Taventer, in Navarra, in all of these, in the free marches, in all of these places, they've got all this land. And Mathrath is still seen as a hero because the people don't know that he's the one that betrayed Andraste to Taventer. So what he does is he splits up these lands to be ruled by his sons, by their sons. And so the uh, land that is now Orlais he gave to his son, who is named Isorath. Um, and Isorath is, he gets married to a woman named Jeshavis. Um, and she's actually referred to as the mother of Orlais. So they get married. Um, and he, Isorath, is really the one that unites all of these Syrian tribes into one big tribe. And so they pretty much take over the majority of the land that we know of as Orlay. And so Mafrath, um, he's ruling over most of Ferelden. The other sons are ruling over other places. Well, um, basically, when it comes out that Andraste was betrayed by Mafrath, not all of the sons can hold on to all of their lands. Isarath and Jeshavis, they do hold on to their land. They continue to hold on to the lands of Orlais. But Isarath's brother, his name was Verald. He was ruling in what's now Navarra. He lost that land and fled to Orlais. And so he um, like sought refuge with his brother and sister-in-law. And what actually ends up happening is... Um, a little bit after this grand unification of all of these Syrian tribes, Jeshavis and Verald make a move against Isarath to take these lands from him. So what happens is she manipulates, Jeshavis manipulates Verald into killing his own brother 
and taking control of these lands. And then she marries Verald after he has just killed her husband. So when Isarath was dead, she gets rid of all of the Alamari that have come into the Syrian lands after Mafrath's betrayal becomes public. She kills all of these people, and then the very last person that she kills is her new husband, Verald. And she takes control of all of the Syrian tribes. And so she is now the one that is leading this land that will then become Orle. So that's kind of what happens to combine these tribes. It's very interesting. So to me, this whole thing speaks of like the game or yeah. politics or our lay is very much a thing from the very beginning. Yes, I have two thoughts. Number one, this is, this is like the first instance of the game being played. And I think a lot of Orlesians view it that way they see her as the person who begins the game. And also, actually, I have three thoughts. Second thought is that this gives me really big Jacob and Esau vibes from the Bible. Anyway, number three, my third thought is that not only is the game so tied to Orlesian culture, but so is this rivalry with Ferelden. Like, it goes mm -hmm. so deep so deep um, back to the very beginning, this rivalry with Ferelden, even before Ferelden was Ferelden when it was the Alamari, even before Orle was Orle when it was the Syrian. So I think these two things that the, the rivalry with Ferelden and um, the game are these two mainstays of Orlesian culture that go back to the very beginning. And for any of our listeners who may not know, uh, the game is what is referred to as the long political maneuvers or complex political system that exists in Orle. So all the nobles and everything are said to be playing the game. Well, not even the nobles. Like anyone, any Orlesian mm -hmm. plays the game. I mean, Briala plays the game, right? Um, to get ahead. Briala's right. parents play the game um, to, to make sure that she gets ahead in life. So I definitely don't think it's just restricted to the nobles. I think it's something that really is in every aspect of Orlesian culture, whether or not they even realize it. All right. So some things are important things are about to happen in Orle in the ancient age. Um, yes. Very important things that are coming because we've got a, you know, we've got the establishment of this empire coming. So let's Jump back in. Yeah, so Jeshavis goes on to rule the Syrian tribes for 42 years. I feel like that's a really significant amount of time. So you can really look at her as the first ruler of Orle. Um, the Orlesians refer to her as the mother of Orle, even though she's not technically um, the first official emperor or empress. Um, but she's very much the first ruler because she is the one that rules over this united people because Isarath never really has that opportunity to rule. Um, but eventually, I'm not sure whether it's her death or whether she's overthrown, but eventually um, she is no longer the ruler. And by minus 10, minus 11 ancient, so like 10 years before the Chantry is officially founded, 
the cult of Andraste's maker is spreading very quickly, vastly over um, southern Thetis. And the first temple is built to the maker in Val Royale. Um, so it's beginning construction around this time, about 10 years before the first age, before the divine age. So Cordillus Draken has become the king and he is a fervent, fervent, devoted disciple of the maker. And he is also proving himself to be an accomplished general and a beloved leader of the people. And by minus three ancient, he is crowned emperor. So his reign, he does so much for, for, or, for Orle. He is, um, he's crowned emperor, obviously, but he also is instrumental in the official founding of the Chantry. He appoints the first divine, um, he makes the chantry or the worship of the maker the official religion of Orlais. Um, he is fighting in the second blight, leading the fight against the darkspawn. Um, he's expanding the Orlesian lands and just doing all kinds of stuff. And so he is really seen, I think, as Orlais' best um, leader. I think when you go into... Maybe not Orlay, but when you get into um, the Exalted Plains, the um, Emerald Graves, the the Western Approach, you start seeing things named after Draken, like Arius. Yeah, you do. You do. Um, and there are statues, and I think there's some like idle ambient conversation that happens in the background. I think maybe when you're in the Empress Dulian, where somebody's basically saying, like, we're going to restore Orlay to the glory of Draken or so, something like that. I can't remember when or where it happens, but um, something generally like that happens in Inquisition. So, yeah, I think he's really seen as, like, the best, um, the best of the emperors for sure. So... We're in the second blight, which is about halfway through the Divine Age. And uh, he dies. Emperor Draken dies. And so by this time, the Orlesian Empire had expanded into the Andrefels, into the majority of the Free Marches, at least the western side, um, and like gone all the way westward as far as they can. And um, the Anderfels had pledged their allegiance to Orlay, so they joined the Empire because of how taken they are with Draken, all this stuff, whatever. Well, when he dies, his son, Cordelius II, um, he, is, he becomes the Emperor, and he is just not, not as successful um, as his father. He's not the military leader he, his father was. He's not beloved. He is just not, he's just not impressive, right, which is normally how... How these things happen with hereditary uh, monarchies, but eventually the Anderfels would declare their independence in 165 divine. So, like, they're not even really part of the Orlesian Empire for for more than 50 50 years. Um, it's not long at all. But we're gonna skip ahead a little bit because you know they just they they move up and down. It's kind of like a roller coaster. Like you've got good leaders, you've got bad leaders, you've got wars, you've got blights, you've got 
um, good things and bad things. And that's just kind of the way it goes. But at the beginning of the glory age, there were lots of skirmishes and fights and tension with the elves in the dales. And in 2-9 glory, the elves attacked Red Crossing, which is a town in Orlais. Um, and pretty soon they end up taking um, Red Crossing and Montsimard, and they even are able to sack Valroyo. Um, so this is a really significant victory for the elves um, of the Dales. And this is what really prompts the Exalted March. Um, and that is called by Divine Renata I. And so elves had had huge successes in taking all of these Orlesian cities, but um, ultimately Halamshral, their capital, would be conquered. Um, and the elves were completely crushed by 210 glory, um, which is, or 220 glory, I'm sorry. So that's like, like an 11-year war. Um, and then the Dales were then annexed and became part of the Orlesian Empire. Alienage were create alienages were created for the elves that submitted to the Orlesian rule, and the elves that did not submit to Orlay then became the nomadic Dalish tribes. So I think this is a really important part of Orlesian of Orlesian history, um, because it's a significant piece of land. Number one, it's a big chunk um, of their country, and number two, it really is a moment where officially they kind of begin to turn away from some of the things that Andraste, um, I think would have wanted such as, you know, a homeland for the elves. Like that was something that she wanted. And so this is really one of the big, big, big ways that they begin to defy Andraste even. Yeah, I think that it's interesting you see the moment of, like, yes, they're a budding empire up to this, but I think it's not really until this exalted march happens that we see the empire of Orlais. Yeah, I totally agree with that, because the next thing that they do, <clears throat> the next thing they do is they then call more exalted marches. They call an exalted march um, to get to venture out of Starkhaven. And then they finish the Grand Cathedral in Val Royale. And then they start moving into other areas. They occupy Navarra from 325 towers until 365 towers. That's 40 years. That's a long time. And then in the Black Age, they start pushing into Ferelden. So I think you're right. From the moment that they take the Dales from the elves, that's when like the colonization starts ramping up. Like they start going into all of these places, these other places that they did not necessarily have a claim to, and they start taking them. And I think those roots are there beforehand. I don't want to make it seem like, oh, Orlais is just this you know, innocent um, little empire before before they take the Dales. No, I don't think that's true. I think the roots for what Orlais became are there from the beginning. But I think that the the exalted march on the Dales is when things begin to ramp up and change, um, and and be, maybe even become more extreme. I mean, and it comes to you in a conversation with Varric that you have in Inquisition. 
and you ask about the era shock from DA2, Varric basically says that like the peep, the Canari back in Parvalin basically denounced the era shock and he says they were afraid that they would raise an exalted march on Parvalin. So like it's a point of like even a country that is strong and I would consider a very formidable Mm-hmm. like military force especially since they've kept to venter on their you know heels for decades if not right. centuries and they even fear this exalted march so like Orlay with these has kind of sowed this sense of like fear like okay like yeah you guys have your independence and everything but Remember, we can still, mm-hmm. we hold the Chantry. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think my next point is uh, moving into their conquering of Ferelden and even moving into the exalted marches against the Kunari. So I think before we get into that, now would be probably a good time to take a little break. Yeah, let's do that. Hey, all right, welcome back. So we're going to start with a little change in our structure of our episodes, and we're going to have a little middle section where we just kind of like talk about what's going on with the podcast and other things like that. Um, So as always, if you want to support us in our podcast, one of the best ways is to just leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Let us know what you like. Uh, That really helps us. So, yeah, if you uh, give us a review, we will uh, potentially read it out on the show. And so, Shelby, do you want to maybe read a review for today? Um, Sure, I can do this one. Yeah. Okay, so this review is from Cornbox, three X's. Thank you, Cornbox. Um, This says, we are fun, knowledgeable, and intelligent. Thank you. Uh, Cornbox says, so excited to see such a great new podcast for Dragon Age. I'm a super fan and these folks really know their stuff. It's such a fun podcast and they go into such great detail about all the things that I want to hear about. One of the things I really hate about podcasts is all the extra stuff that people talk about when trying to be personable, but these two really pull off the personality without any of the clutter. It's straightforward, fun to listen to, and easily one of my new favorite podcasts. Thanks, y'all, and keep them coming. Dareth Sheral. Thank you, Cornbox. It also really annoys me when podcasts are talking all the time about not things on topic. So, <laughs> I don't really care what people have for breakfast on a podcast about video games. Right. Right. Thank you. Thank you. And, of course, like... The reviews, they help the podcast, so please, please, review. All right. Um, as always, you can reach to us on Twitter uh, at DA Lorecast. Um, you could also join in the description. You'll find a links for the Robots Radio uh, Discord. Both uh, Shelby and I are on there as Teacup92 and SheCup94. Um, you can reach out to there. There's a Dragon Age channel. Um, check us out there. Yeah. And also, if you're curious about our playthroughs, we do do have a Twitch channel. It is the same as Teacup92 on Twitch. Um, and just you can check out playthroughs. We stream occasionally. Um, we'll try to start posting on Twitter when we do stream our uh, 
playthroughs and stuff like that. All right. All right, Shelby, you ready to get in? So where where do we go from a point of, we have this Orle, this kind of budding empire to this point of like true like imperial force that's kind of conquering all of Thetis, but we're not introduced in Dragon Age into a world where Orle rules all of Thetis. We're in these other countries and there's history there. So like, what happens? Like, what stops Orle? What, what's the story there? Yeah, well, I think, I think we do get glimpses, right, of what it looks like when Orle ruled, not everything, but a lot of Thetis um, in Origins, because there, I mean, the whole game, you're fighting against Loghain, right? Like, he's not the big bad, because he's not the archdemon, but like, if there was like a second big bad, like, a less big, big bad. I don't know. Um, anyway, it would be Loghain. Um, and he is always talking about Orle because he's a veteran of the war um, with Orle. He he was a participant in the overthrowing of the Ferelden Rebellion. So, like, that's always on his mind, and he talks about it all the time. So we get all these glimpses into what it was like when Orle did rule Ferelden. And... In the Black Age, 480 Black is when Orle first conquers. It's their first venture to conquer Ferelden. It's not the first time they actually um, conquered Ferelden because it, they did not succeed. Um, but basically what, what they wanted to do in the Black Age is that they wanted to take the port of High Ever, um, which would then, you know, they would be able to take the sea, the northern sea um, of Ferelden. But the fortresses of, of uh, Ferelden held out a lot longer than the Orlesians were expecting to, and winter in the mountains left a lot of the Orlesian forces unsupplied. They couldn't get their supplies. So by the spring of 484 Black, um, most of the Orlesian troops had been pulled out or captured or killed. So their first excursion back into Ferelden did not succeed but this really starts like the process of them going into Ferelden and as we know of the most recent um, was before Merrick was king and that lasted for I think 20 some odd years um, and Merrick's mom the rebel queen she was basically orchestrating this rebellion for years and years and years and years and she she dies and Merrick meets Loghain uh, in his escape and they they come back and lead the rebellion after she dies and um, that those two along with Rowan Merrick's um, intended his bride they are the ones that really lead this rebellion to victory so we see all of that um, in in the book The Stolen Throne which is a really good book. I really like that one. But that's that's a big part of Orlesian history because it goes back into, like we were saying, like this fight with Ferelden. It's not just uh, making fun of, it's not just Orlesians making fun of Ferelden's for smelling like dogs or having, you know, bad weather and bad style or bad food. It's It's totally like, a conflict of identity it's 
they value totally different things in their society, in their culture. Um, and I think that that really does drive a lot of the conflict there. I think it's a, like an important thing to remember when you're talking about any kind of like group like there, like that even Europe, like you can't make a general statement about like European culture because, you know, right. if you told the French and the English they were the same, I, you would be yeah, murdered. Or even like, you know, Germans <laughs> and Italians or any any of these groups, like they yeah. have such distinct identities. And I think that we can safely say like, Thetis is very much modeled off of a Europe model of these countries that have shared borders and other things. I know you think Taventer is modeled after America, but... I'm just saying. But there's... <laughs> but I think... No, you're right. They did say that, like, France is the inspiration for Orle, obviously. But the comparison doesn't doesn't fully combine or it's not a full comparison because not it's not one to one because like you have the inspiration like the divine the pope is obviously the inspiration for that so anyway yes you're right but it's not a one-to-one comparison okay uh it's just a lot to deal with like you you have these competing ideals of you know culture i mean even in our elven history episode we talked about like a difference of ideals between the city elves of Orlay versus the city elves of Ferelden and like what they talk about and True. so like even in these other groups that aren't humans you still have these big differences between Orlesian city elves and Ferelden city elves yeah yeah so I, I mean I think it's a divide that runs really yeah. deep but But I want to... I was just going to say, Ferelden isn't the only people that Orlay attempts to conquer. Um, That's true. That is true. Um, and we're going to skip ahead a couple of centuries to the Storm Age. Um, because this is when Orlay tries to conquer the Kunari. Um, the Kun has really made its way into into Thetis by this point. Um, and I think Tevinter really sees the brunt of this um, and maybe the free marches, but mostly Tevinter. Um, but the Cunari Wars, as they're called, the divine of the Storm Age sh- during 725, 752, and 784, the divine calls three exalted marches against the Cunari. Um so this is like the majority of this age, the storm age. And I'm sure that it was not named, um, by that divine who named that age. I'm sure that she had no idea that war was coming, but I think it's a very apt name, um, for this time, because as we know, war is violent, but war is not fun. So during the wars, during these exalted marches, Orlay managed to steal the Tome of Kozloon, which is what Isabella steals from the Kunari, which is like their most holy relic. Um, it's like their Bible. So in 744 storm, the newly crowned emperor of the Orlesian Empire, Emperor Freyan, allowed women to become knights after witnessing the death of Sir Aveline, Knight of Orlais. 
So this happens at the same time that the Cunari occupation of Kirkwall was lifted by an Orlesian Chevalier. Um, so all of this stuff is kind of happening at the same time. And the end, the war with the Cunari finally ends in 799 Storm Age. And at that time, again, all these things are happening at the same time. Um, Emperor Etienne I has two twin boys. So that happens at the same time the war is declared over. And so the divine of that time names the next age, the blessed age or the blessed age. So all of these things kind of happen at the same time. It's kind of a whirlwind, even though it's a hundred year span. Um, but I think that's kind of how it happens when, you know, you're in the middle of a war. So Orlais tries to conquer the Canari. They try to conquer Parvalin. Um, they retake, they retake Kirkwall, but their exalted marches to conquer the Canari does not succeed at all. They do conquer Ferelden, like that's just a fact. Obviously, Ferelden rebels, um, but they they don't they don't have success with the Kunari other than retaking Kirkwall. Do you think the exalted marches are intended to be like a one for one to the Crusades? Um, probably. I mean, I just think it's I don't interesting because how many Crusades. The first exalted march is called by a divine, not the emperor. Well, I think all exalted marches are called the by chantry. the chantry, divine. the divine, and so I think that that's yeah, that's why it's an exalted march, right? But and it's and so I would just think that like that's having studied history and like crusades of whatever that was, the Middle Ages. Um, that's just a point of like they are religious and holy wars that have these ulterior political motives into them and so i was just curious if that was if you thought that was bioware's intention to kind of make that comparison i have no idea what bioware's intentions are with anything but i do think there are similarities yes. there so we have the blessed age Yes. Okay, so the Blessed Age is the age right before the Dragon Age. So we're like on the cusp of where we're at um, in, in the games currently. We're about like a decade and a half um, out. So in 824 Blessed, the Mad Emperor Reveal invaded Ferelden again. So by 844, which is 20 years later, they were occupying the majority of the country. Um, so Ferelden is like totally engaged, or Orlais is totally engaged with this war with Ferelden, which gives other countries the opportunity to strike back at Orlais, specifically Navarra. And the Pentagasts take revenge on Orlais. Um, they had really been waiting it out since 797 Storm Age, the previous age, which is about 30 years, when Emperor Etienne uh, basically divorced his wife of 15 years, Princess Soteria Pentagast, um, to marry his mistress. Obviously, the Pentagast family, yes, the Pentagast of Cassandra Pentagast, they are, they are very unhappy with this uh, divorce. 
Um, so while most of the Orlesian army was still like in Ferelden fighting, um, the Pentagasts, Navarra declares war against Orle, and they take several cities, especially in that north section. Um, and the Orlesians did eventually rally a defense, but it, it really could never be a full defense or retaliation against Navarra because so many troops were in Ferelden. Um, so a lot of cities fell during this time, and the city of Perindale was one of them. And Navarra has claimed that city ever since. So, yeah, so I think this is like one of the times where people see that Orle is really not the empire it once was. Like, yeah, they're fighting Ferelden, they've taken Ferelden, but at the same time, they can't hold their borders elsewhere. At the same time, they have all these other countries that are looking to stab them in the back, basically, that are looking to make moves wherever they can. Which, again, that's the game, right? They kind of put it on themselves, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think this is one really big moment where people see through this Orlesian facade of power and prestige and might. And I think that you, you see that this kind of pattern in history all the time. So if you take the American Revolution beforehand, you know, leading mm -hmm. up to that, there was a bunch of bitterness between England and France and even Spain at some point in this. And so England engages in a war with the American colonies and France is just kind of like, okay, well, let's get in on this because we can, mm -hmm. we can benefit from this. It's interesting. It's a little different because Navarra is just kind of like, okay, let's just declare war instead of just being like, okay, well, let's move in with Ferelden to see if we can together push them back. Um, but I would imagine mm -hmm. that this kind of attack on Orle was a rallying call even in Ferelden to say like, hey, these people can be beat. Yeah, I would imagine so because um, it's in 896, blessed, that Merrick Farron finally takes over um, the Ferelden throne and they finally oust all of the Orlesians um, after his mother's assassination um, and after he kills the Orlesian king of Ferelden, Megrin. So it's it not until nine two dragon though, which is six years later, that Orle finally kind of cedes Ferelden uh, back to Merrick and the Ferelden's and says, "Okay, we're done. We're done with this. We're not going to keep fighting you." Right, and I think that we will probably we will discuss more of the Orle Ferelden war in our episode on Ferelden. Um, but if you do want more information, you can always read the book, The Stolen Throne. Yeah, which is a really good book. I, I say that every episode. I'm sorry. It's like my catchphrase, but it is a good book. <laughs> but Ferelden lovers, don't worry. We will give Merrick and Loghain their due and their story that they deserve. And, and Rowan. Rowan. Yes. Yeah, we'll get there. 
Um, so we are officially in the Dragon Age. Um, so in 920 Dragon, Celine Valmont outmaneuvers her cousin Gaspard de Chalon to become Empress. So Gaspard is like the next one in line. Like the throne should have gone to him. But Celine basically goes to um, their little council um guys that you can meet in the winter palace and she she basically makes a compelling argument that she should be that she should be the one ruling orle and they agree with her and give her the throne um instead of gaspard so obviously he's pissed off like i think the games kind of present him as like this guy who almost doesn't even really have a claim to the throne, which is not true. He totally does. Um, so anyway, their whole, their whole conflict, um, happens in Inquisition, but I, I skipped over a little bit. Um, apparently in the, in the years leading up to the Mage Templar War, Many Orlesian nobles had begun to plot to reconquer Ferelden after the Fifth Blight. Um, after, after the Blight, when Ferelden was, like, really weak. Um, or when they believed Ferelden was weak. Which goes against Empress Selene's wishes. Um, she wants to keep the peace. She wants to bring people under control, which we see in Asunder, Masked Empire... In the note she leaves for Kaylin, or the note she sends to Kaylin, if you've if you've played um, that DLC, Return to Ostagar in Origins, so that's another thing that really I think makes some of the nobles turn toward Gaspard, and that's how he gets more of a following. In addition, obviously, to the Chevalier, I think. That- I also think that it's important, like, and we'll talk more about this in the Ferelden episode, but understanding this conflict really gives more of light to why Loghain acts the way he does in the beginning yeah. of Origins. I'm not excusing what he does because I don't think it was the right thing to do, but he would consider Kaelin talking with Selene or even considering help from the Orlesians the ultimate betrayal. Right, it's anathema to him because he fought in the war. Like, he saw the atrocities they committed, and I get that. But also, a blight is so much worse than any kind of war you can fight with another country. So, anyway, that is, that's, that's my, uh, Orlesian history lesson. (laughs) Um, I just have, I was just gonna say, and obviously, uh, what's called the War of the Lions between Gaspard and uh, Ah, Selene ends with the help and influence of the Inquisition and how it ends is entirely dependent on you, the player in Inquisition. Um, Yeah. And if you, there are other side quests. You can do the main quest that lets you go to the Winter Palace and negotiate the end, but you could also go to the Exalted Plains and the um, Emerald Graves to mm-hmm. assist in this war um, and assist the fighters of this war in more of a ground level than the big political thing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think we still, I still haven't gotten my question answered. What is the deal 
with oh. the mass. So what is this? What does it mean I don't... to be Orlesian? <laughs> to be Orlesian and wear a mask? Like, well, what do you like mean? Well, just like more about their... Which question? Well, I still want... I want to know what the deal with the mask is. But... Uh... Okay, 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 okay. Let me get into the masks. So I don't know why they wear masks, but their masks are, are symbols it, um, they're always worn in the style that is according to your family or the family that you serve if you're an elf. So, like, all of the Valmont family are all going to wear a similar mask. Obviously, the ones that, like, Celine wears, wears is going to be way more, um fancier than the ones that her elven servants are going to wear, but it's like a hereditary family thing. So it, it, it not only is something that they do for the look of it, it's also something they do to show off their status and their family name. And it's something that they also do to be able to outmaneuver in the game. So if you're, you know, you can hide your identity a little bit more if nobody knows what the top half of your face looks like. Right, right. So I think that's part of it. I don't know if that really answers your question about why they wear masks, but those are some of the reasons. I just wanted to talk about their culture a little bit um, because obviously they are insane about luxury and extravagance and like all of these ridiculous fashions like that's a huge part of their culture and it really does go back to emperor draken the first because that's something he was really passionate about he loved fashion um and so this has been part of orlesian culture for you know forever since the beginning um and i think that's another really important thing to note yeah and so what more uh i think more things we can do that we hear a lot in the games is the bards of Orle. So why don't we mm-hmm. go a little in like who they are and their role. I and mean, you can learn a little. If you talk to Liliana in Origins or things you can learn or Josephine who was also a bard, you can learn more about them. But yeah. what, what do we know? Yeah. Well, bards often entertain nobles in their courts in addition to being trained assassins um, or saboteurs or spies. So nobles welcome bards with the full knowledge that anybody could be a spy for somebody else. And like, it's kind of a thrill to them. Like, oh yes, we're going to outwit this person. We're going to smart them, outsmart them. We're going to, we're going to beat so-and-so noble down the road, whatever. Um, it, and like that that's such a huge part of the game and i i really think that like the nobles they do play the game but they also use the bards as like pawns in the game they use the bards to do the dirty work that they don't want to do so it's almost like you're playing human chess right like you're using other people to murder other people so that you don't have to all while orchestrating all of this political behind the scenes stuff um so yeah i don't know they bug me it it annoys me i yeah i don't know if you can tell Mm -hmm. but um 
just to go into the game a little bit, the game officially refers to this perpetual competition for influence and esteem between the nobles. So it is between the nobles, even though other people, like we talked about earlier, play the game. Um, Everyone in Orlais is subject to their peers' manipulation, um, regardless of whether or not you're born of noble birth. And I think a lot of people who are not born of noble birth are trying to play the game so that they can become a noble. Um, Because there is this really deep classism in Orlais. Um, Everything is about the nobility. We, We rarely ever hear about someone who's from Orlais that's not a noble. So yeah, the goals of the game, they they basically want to gain prestige, reputation, power, patronage, um, and the rules are as simple as anything goes. Right. I think it's interesting if we look at the game and like, because our real opportunity to like engage with the game on like a player level is an inquisition with um, the Winter Palace. Yeah, uh, Wicked absolutely. Eyes, Wicked Hearts is the name of the quest. And it's interesting how I kind of have fun with it a little bit, even though I'm not the biggest fan of that quest. I enjoy the saying one thing but meaning another. The wordplay that exists and like how you get court approval in there. I enjoy that is intriguing mm-hmm. to me because it takes a like, okay, I'm just going to say it's turning things on like, answering questions with questions and like it's like who's wittier yeah that annoys I know. me <laughs> like i can't you just want you you're the kind of person who you want everyone to be like okay just say what you mean just say it yeah i would be a ferelden i would be right. a ferelden and i think that's a good uh point of like differences of ferelden or norlay in that and we see this in the games because when we go to like the lands meet in Origins, like everyone's very direct. Like, and the things you say to Logan to accuse him are very direct. Like, very, you did this, you did this, you did this. And Logan is very direct in his responses and how he responds to yeah. you. Whereas in Orlais, it's all of this kind of circular arguments and everything. Like, saying your point and like that's part of the enticing thing of the game is knowing what's going on and behind the thing and like if you don't then you're not a part of the game um and i think that's one of the mm-hmm. r- real big tensions at least for me because ferelden's see or lesions as liars manipulators yeah. and th- they are in a lot of way but to an orlesian that's the game that's and i think Vivian even says that to Cassandra, who is, like, just disgusted by the game and hates everything. And Vivian, and Vivian's just like, that's the game, love, you know, and things like that. And that's nice accent. Sorry. Um, (laughs) That that's and so that's a a tension of like, that's the game. The illusions are like, we're just we're being us like. And they were, and on turn, the illusions view the Ferelden's as simpletons and not intelligence, where it's just yeah. a difference. One values direct thing, and the other values this complicated and vast system of how you do politics. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, let's get um, some 
Notable or lesions? Yes. So, I mean, there's a lot of or lesions that we meet throughout these three games uh, and their DLCs and the books and comics, but a few important ones that I think are personally important or significant. Sir Aveline, not Aveline Valen, uh, but Sir Aveline is the first female chevalier. And then, of course, there is Aveline Valen, who is the companion to Hawk. There is Briala, Ambassador Briala, if you will, Celine's spymaster and potential lover. There is Warden Commander Clarel of Orlais. There is Empress Celine. There is Grand Enchanter Fiona, <clears throat> also known as Alistair's mom. There is Florian de Chalon. There's Gaspard de Chalon, also could be potentially Emperor Gaspard. There is Divine Jacinia V, uh, Catriel, Cordellus Draken, Liliana, Megrin, Michelle de Chavon, Knight Captain Evangeline from the book Asunder, and Jashavis, mother of Orlais. Um, and Duke Prosper. Yes. You sound very offended that I left him off my list. No, I just remember because that's a, he's a very like, stereotypical or yeah that's fair that's fair <laughs> but i think that if we come in like liliana is not an orlesian noble she's not a noble she doesn't consider herself orlesian at all she considers herself ferelden even though she grew mm -hmm. up in orlay and is a trained orlesian bard and has an orlesian accent she considers herself ferelden and she says that in origins so, I was conflicted about putting her on the list. Okay. All right. Do you have any last closing thoughts about Orlay? I, my last closing thoughts about Orlay. Orlay is not a place I am super interested in. Um, and so, I hope we don't go there in, in Dragon Age 4. I hope we go somewhere new. Um and I would not be sad if Orlay fell. Hmm. Um, I don't think that that would happen just because of the Chantry. Um, but, I mean, we could see the Chantry fall. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. Orlay annoys me. Orlesians annoy me. I think hmm. they're pretty. I think it's an important, like, yes, Orlay annoys me, but you can't argue their importance in the structure of Thetis, um, especially because of the Chantry, which you're not doing that. Um, but I think, I mean, it's a point, like, in the alternate timeline that you go to in Inquisition, mm -hmm. part of what leads to Corypheus winning is he conquers Orlay. That's true. Because then there's not a force to stand against him. That's true. Because they're still the strongest military force. So I would think yeah. that, like, I could see a diminished Orlay, but an Orlay that's completely gone, I don't think that that's going to happen because at this point, the only forces that could potentially conquer Orlay would be Tevinter, Parvalin, and, you know, Ferelden has never really recovered from the Fifth Blight and then the whole plot of Inquisition. 
That's true. I mean, I think if you keep the Inquisition around, they definitely pose a threat. Um, yes. And I think that's one of the reasons that Orlay wants the Inquisition under the Chantry's thumb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right. And I, I don't necessarily think we'll see a totally fallen Orlay. When I said that, I didn't mean like the whole thing. I just mean maybe something that's more fractured. Like you have a section that's like just the Chantry. Like Val Royo is the Chantries. Like it's like it's Vatican City. And then you have like part of it, part of Orlay that's ruled by the Chevalier. And then like you have another part that's ruled by elves or Ferelden or, or the Inquisition or whatever. Um, I could see it splitting up into multiple factions more than I could see it just totally falling into like wasteland. Yeah. And I will say that what you choose as the player for the Orlesian Civil War greatly impacts on like what that might look like. Because if you, if you leave Selene on the throne and you exile Gaspard. Part of the narration is that Empress Selene continues to rule, but there are many questions among the nobility on if she relies too much on the Inquisition. So already, even though, you know, we win and we provide stability to Orlay, really having the Inquisition side with Selene weakens her political hold. Well, I don't even think that's true, though. I think that she already is a weak political leader. Well, yes, that's true. And I mean, Colin himself even says that. He says that it might be better to go with Gaspard because he's less, you know, manipulated. I mean, yeah, and I agree with Colin. Like, the first time I played this game, I was like, oh, no, no, we're going to go with Celine because, like... Gaspard is a, is mean. He's a bad guy. Like, he seems like a jerk. And he is a jerk. But he's also a strong leader. And I'm not saying that Celine isn't a strong leader, but after reading all these novels, she just has so many issues. <laughs> like, she's, she's made a lot of mistakes. And there's a lot of people who don't support her and I understand it because she wants to, to make change in Orlay, but you know, she, she's nice to Ferelden and they don't like that. And she's nicer for a while to elves and they don't like that. And she doesn't support the Chevalier like they want her to. And so they don't like that. And there are just all these things. Um, and then she supports the Inquisition and they, some people don't like that. And so it's just, she's, she's done a lot of things that a lot of people disagree with. And it doesn't seem to me like she's made a lot of true allies. Mm-hmm. So that's just my perspective, but. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's all for Orlay yeah. this time. So we'll take, Another just a little quick break, and we'll be back with our character. Okay, welcome back. Well, Shelby, who we got for our character to highlight today? Yes, so we are talking about someone that we've never met in the games um, or the books or the comics, but she is an important character, and I talked about her earlier, 
And so today we're talking about Jashavis, and she's the mother of Orlay. We kind of went back and forth between a lot of different people to highlight this time, um, just because, like, there are so many people we could have talked about, but I feel like she was an important one because we don't know, like, we she's not someone that we talk about a lot, um, even though she's referred to as the mother of Orlay. So, um... If you haven't dug into the codex for anything, you probably won't have even heard of her. Um, but she, Jashavis, was the first female chieftain of the Syrian tribes. Um, and they are the ones that established Orle, like we talked about earlier. So um, <clears throat> we talked about her story a little bit earlier about her... Um, husband who was the son of Andraste and Maphrath uniting the tribes. Um, but I want to talk about the marriage a little bit because I get the feeling that she was not really asked about the marriage. Like it was more of an arranged marriage or it was presented to mm. her as like her duty, like something she had to do. Like this was politically expedient. This was not a love marriage, which totally makes sense because she murders him or has him murdered. Um, Right. I feel like she's like, you know that TikTok sound that's like, I may have girl bossed a bit too close to the sun. That's, yeah. that's Jashavis, 100%. That's her. Totally. Um, but I think that she, well, she gives me, she gives you what? She gives me big Lady Macbeth vibes. Yeah. Yeah. I see that too. I definitely see that. But I think that she's really interesting because she's so pissed off at Isarath for uniting these tribes that have nothing in common, that are, you know, distinct tribes from one another. But then she leaves them united. Like, she doesn't break them apart. She continues to rule over them. So I very much see that as not necessarily hypocritical, but, um, like, it's different when you're a person who's from that community who does something versus when someone who's an outsider comes in and does something. And I definitely mm -hmm. think Isa Rath, her husband, her first husband, was always seen as an outsider um, because he's Alamari. He's Ferelden. And that, once again, goes, goes back to our um, deep, 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 deep conflict between... Orlay and Ferelden. Um, so I think she's an interesting character again because she's not a good character. I think a lot of times, not necessarily in Bioware, but just in, in anything, when we have women characters, women leaders especially, we look at them as if like, oh, you're going to be good. You're going to be a good person because you're a woman, because you're a wife, because you're a mother, for whatever reason. And so I think we automatically trust female leaders a little bit more. Um, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself here, but I always love it when that trope is turned on its head. And I think it very much is with the story of Jashavis because she's like violent. She's looking out for number one and number one is her. Number one is Jashavis. Mm -hmm. She's looking out for her own power. She's playing the game before the game even has rules. Before the game is, before anybody else is playing the game, Jashavis is playing the game. Um, right. So, 
I think she's interesting for all of these reasons. I think it's also another point of like, you know, Andraste is really kind of a woman who decides her own fate, um, who is this leader and brings everything up to that. And I'm sure at some point, like, you know, as we both know, representation matters. Like seeing a woman lead and be this inspiration to all these people is is likely empowering for other women to lead and take ownership of like Mm -hmm. that. And then she's martyred and all these men start telling her what to do. So I I just kind of see that like, okay, I don't want to do this. So I'll do this my way because, you know, mama said it was okay. That's interesting because I definitely see, I see Andraste and Jashavis almost as like opposites of each other. Like, yeah, foils. Exactly. That's the word I was looking for. Like Andraste is the hero. Jashavis is the antihero. Like, she does everything opposite that Andraste does. Um, she betrays her husband before her husband can betray her. Andraste gets mm-hmm. betrayed by her husband, right? Um, and so I just, I definitely see a lot of these opposites in, in these two women. And again, I think it goes back, and I feel like I'm like, I feel like I am a broken record. But I feel like this impacts so much of Orlesian culture. And that's this divide between Ferelden and Orle. I see Andraste is Ferelden. That's who she is. You know, she's born outside of what will become Denerim. And Jashavis is clearly so Orlesian. She's playing the game before the game exists. And so not that these two women had conflict because they didn't know each other. They didn't really live at the same time. But the differences between them really highlight the differences between their culture. And I feel like moving forward into modern history a little bit, we're getting off topic, but I feel like at this point in history, by the time of the Dragon Age, I feel like the histories of Ferelden and Orle are so intertwined that you almost can't even separate them anymore. I would definitely agree with that, especially with the whole Inquisition, you know, being housed in Ferelden, but being so involved in Orlais. Um, but it's and they literally sit, they sit on that the border. border of the Frostback mm-hmm. Mount of the Frostback Mountains and everything yeah. like that. Um, so yeah, um, that's all the time we have today. Thank you for listening yeah. to the Dragon Age Lorecast. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. As always, you can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, email them to us at dalorecast at gmail.com. The Dragon Age Lorecast is a part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club. You can join the Robots Radio Network Discord by clicking the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed our show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and give us a review. See you next time. How well do you know your video game lovers? Have you ever wondered how your video game bays stack up against all the other delectable digital dates? I'm Genesis, the girl whose motto in life is love, laugh, tequila. And on Two Girls, One Ship, we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. And I'm Vervada, the hopeless romantic cat lady and lifelong gamer. 
but you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of physical connection. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two characters, using specific in-game dialogue and the overall narrative journey. So join the two girls, one ship, shipsters, and remember, beauty is in the eye of the controller.